if your desire is strong enough to do something, you can make it happen. I was 18 years old traveling in Asia. I saw no one else that age. People thought I was crazy, but I wanted to do it. And it was, and it's been done and it was incredible. And I wouldn't have changed it at all. This is the Seasonals Podcast, a show where we talk to people living the seasonal lifestyle. We take an in-depth look at the decision points they've encountered along the way. I'm here with Lewis Brooks, uh, one of my very good friends from New Zealand. I met while I was there a couple of years ago. How are you doing, Lewis? Yeah, I'm doing well. Nice to see you again, Joey. So where are you right now? So right now I am in a small alpine town called Flims in Switzerland, just enjoying the snow and trying to get up the mountain skiing, basically. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. You have been doing a lot of skiing lately. What's What's the stat you just gave me? We had a two-week holiday. I was doing about 12 to 14 days skiing, and it's incredible snow up here. They reckon up to three meters even. So it's they're closing some of the ski lifts because it's just too much, too much <laughs> of a good thing, really. Yeah, it's, it's getting as much in as I can before I have to go back into summer and do it all over again. <laughs> How old are you? Let me ask that before we start. So I'm 20 years old. Halfway through my twenties, really pretty pretty young for most of the people up here, and for seasonals in general. Tell me a little bit about how, when you were in high school, what a gap year looked like, and then once you started yours, or you know, right after high school, where you went from there. I went to high school, obviously in New Zealand, in the, in the town I grew up in, which had only five hundred people when the time I left. So pretty small. In our last year of school, they would always do these career career days where they would try and sort of persuade you to take their their career paths, take their jobs. And I had a few ideas going around in my head, but if none of them were going to work out, always traveling was a big thing to me. My parents would take us traveling. It was always in the back of my mind. Eventually down the line, I came to the idea that I was going to try out at a drama school or I was going to have a gap year. And I applied for this drama school and they gave me an interview, um, sorry, an audition. And I went to there, it was over the, over in the city or the closest city nearby, which was about five hours drive and had the audition. And then I heard back from them a couple of weeks later. And unfortunately I didn't get in there. I was sort of left with the idea of the gap year. I spent the rest of my school year and the six months that I worked in New Zealand to save up and plan where I was going. And I actually chose my destination because of a Top Gear episode. I was thinking, oh yeah, if I've got a year off school, where do I want to go? And I saw this Top Gear episode where they took motorbikes through Vietnam. And I thought, that looks incredible. I've got to try that out. I wanted to get away from a first world country and experience something completely different. And so that's where it originally started. And then as I kept planning, it it turned from 10 weeks away, just in Southeast Asia, to coming back to New Zealand and then working and studying again, 
to ending up going over to Europe, going to see family and friends. And in total, I traveled for six months going through three different countries in Asia and 10, 12 in Europe. It was a really big trip. How much do you think it cost? Well, by the time I had got into Spain, I was on my last bit of money. So probably Asia didn't cost much at all. Asia would have cost 2000 New Zealand dollars. I'm not sure what the conversion is to US dollars. One American dollar is 75 cents Kiwi. Yeah, you've been looking at 2000 New Zealand. And then Europe cost a lot compared to Asia, which was a shame. I cut my traveling and maybe a bit shorter than I would have liked. <laughs> yeah, so it would have come to probably 7000 for the for everything, insurance, flights, staying over, eat, staying at places, eating, everything like that. I traveled for about six months on that. It was, and it was easy to save. As I said, I worked six months in New Zealand in my hometown. So I stayed with my parents. And I was the last, last one of my friends to stay with my parents. But very, very few people, it seemed, at my school would, were taking years off or especially traveling. I didn't feel pressured into studying, but it was definitely the, the way they wanted you to go. I think it helped a lot that my relationship with the careers advisor was really good. And so she was like, well, you seem to have it all planned out. You go for it and was very supportive. But it's not a common thing for New Zealanders to do. To me, I don't know, maybe it was just the people that I talked to, but it seemed like, because in America, gap years are almost not, it's just not a thing. Like parents don't want you to do it. Advisors don't want you to do it. Colleges definitely don't want you to do it. Usually you don't think that you should do it. And when I was over, when I was in New Zealand, it sounded more like an established, accepted thing that people just, you know, often did. Maybe that's more of a British or Australian thing. Maybe it's just the people that I was around that said that. I think a lot of them take a year, but not straight after high school. It would happen after what I call university. I'm not sure what the American equivalent is. But that's when most people look to travel then, uh, once they come out of university. From my friends and people at my school, it was very few people who would travel straight out, of, straight out of high school. Yeah, you would meet a lot of people who have traveled because New Zealand is such a small country and a lot of people have family still overseas. So a lot of people will go to Australia or the Pacific Islands nearby for a week weekends you could even do yeah I think few people my age when I left New Zealand I was 18 and I was traveling through Asia at 18 years old um there was I met no one my age they were all 20 21 22 at that time so university is uh kind of like American university or college it's four years and you did get a degree right yeah I think most courses in New Zealand are three years but yeah you still get a degree out of it that would be about right. Yeah. How much, how much is tuition at a New Zealand university? So my sister, she did three years at uni. I think it's about 30,000 in total to do those three years. So 10,000 a year. But now, right now there's a labor government in and they have the first year's tuition free. So it's becoming more tempting for, I guess, kids my age and, to go back now and study because you get that first year paid for. <laughs> so you sort of waited it out, right? Yeah, sort of waited it out. 
look at my friends and go, hey, you got the short straw there, I think. <laughs> and, but now it's now it's coming on to the top of my head of thinking, hey, should I study and make the most of this now and then start traveling again? Because now I've worked in Switzerland and if I as we'll get to soon go over to Alaska and work there, I'll hopefully be able to save enough money to pay for most of my university studies and then start traveling again. So what was your strategy uh, when you decided Vietnam and Asia? Did you, did you have a couple people that had done it before that kind of gave you the roadmap or did you come up with it with yourself? I didn't really talk to too many people that had been to that area. As I said, I followed the Top Gear episode. I sort of mapped out where they were going and I was like, oh, this will work, this will work. And then just through Googling, I did talk to a lot of people at the travel agencies um, to find out what their experiences were and where they could recommend. But a lot of it was wherever the, the wind takes me, really. I had a flight in to Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam. Ten weeks later, a flight out also from Ho Chi Minh City. Within those ten weeks, I had nothing tying me to one place. I could meet people as I went, which I did quite a lot, and just tagged along with them. They said, oh, we're going to go here and check out. So there was some of the caves up in the north of Vietnam, the Phong Nha Caves. And I wasn't planning on going there. And I met a bunch of people who were going up, who I became really good friends with at the hostel. And I sort of followed them for so six nights, two different places, and they took me to the Phong Nha Caves. So there was nothing, yeah, not a real plan of where I was going to go. Just fly in, fly out, and work out where I was going to go from there. I think that's a great plan for for Vietnam. Grab a grab a bike and go find some people yeah. and just do it. I did buy a bike from it was a mountain town called Dalat, and I bought a bike for two hundred and fifty US dollars. And I'd never ridden a motorbike before. I thought we're we're better to learn than the chaos of Vietnam. And <laughs> So hopped on there, um, broke it. It broke down the first day I was on it. Had to get it fixed. But other than that, it wasn't too bad. And I did from Dalat, which is, as I said, up in the mountains, right down back to the sea, up to Hanoi. Sorry, Hoi An, which is in the central of Vietnam. And that came to 850 kilometers on that bike. So it was actually not bad. It got me pretty far. I saw way more places. It's a completely different experience to traveling by bus or by car or anything. You can weave through little villages to, to, yeah, to villages that haven't seen white people at all, which I know is becoming a cliche now, but it's really still relevant to when you're traveling in these deserted areas. And I was, I managed to stay at this little hostel, which was middle of nowhere, but, it was designed for backpackers, but made by backpackers. And you could only really get there by a motorbike. So everyone was in the same boat. And the morning I left, there was, I think, about eight of us and sort of felt like a bike bike gang going into town. <laughs> it, was, it was really cool. Yeah, some incredible experiences and completely different to going by bus or any other mode of transport I found. When I was in Thailand, I totally fell in love with the idea of, you know, riding around on my motorbike because it, and it never occurred to me not having a windshield, being able, (laughs) like, there's nothing between me and that mountain. There's nothing between me and that tree. 
and I can stop whenever I want. You feel so much closer. You're not in this glass metal pod rifling through this area. You're actually feeling the wind, feeling everything, seeing everything. It was really cool. And it yeah. it always it feels like it's just drawing me back. Yeah. Yeah. And you, it's doing what the locals do. You know, you're driving. Yeah. As I was saying, one part I was with eight foreigners, all travelers, but other parts was just me, myself and my bike. And then heaps of the locals also traveling by bikes and you, you feel, yeah, one of them. And when the, when typhoon starts to hit and the rain comes, you're all, all there together, sharing the same, same pains or same experience. (laughs) You're a lot closer to it. It feels, yeah, you feel more immersed in the nature and the environment. And it's really, and the culture, it's really, really awesome. When you left, what did you sell the bike for? Oh, it was it was pretty pretty destroyed at that point. Um, I think <laughs> the, gearbox, the gearbox was broken and that, so I only probably got well eighty US dollars for it in the end. But the experiences I had on it and the the distance I traveled, it easily easily paid for itself. Really, it was incredible. Met awesome people who I'm still in touch with today. Honestly just through through that bike and yeah biking with them it was incredible and in the europe trip what happened there how was how was that experience that was very different i remember my first few days i was in i landed into frankfurt in germany and i stayed at a hostel which costs geez twin 20 euro or something some insane amount after going through places that would cost me five us dollars a night it was completely different. And I sent a message to my parents saying, I, I don't know if I like this style of traveling. Everyone is families. It's, it was very different because you meet all young people over there trying to make, get the most for their money. It's Asia's cheap. And then, and you come into Europe and it's completely different. No one's backpacking as such. It's a lot of business travel and that. But um, I met a lot of friends. I have a lot of international friends from from Germany. When I met them in New Zealand, they would come and uh, come to our school and stay for six months or a year. And I'd stayed in touch with them. So that was nice to see some faces that knew me, I guess, and would pick me up from the bus just to see someone wave at you. It was a very, very new feeling after, I think I was traveling then for, that was about 12 weeks when I saw my first friend again. So that was, that was crazy. But um, yeah, so I was, I was there November. I traveled all of like Germany and France and a bit of Italy before I got to Christmas and I have family in England. So I spent Christmas in England and then had a mate coming over to Europe too for New Year's. And I thought, Oh, I might go and see him. And I met Joey his name is over in Austria, <laughs> Vienna, and um, tagged up with him, but it was very different. It was a lot more place to place traveling by bus. I would go in France. I was doing Lyon to Paris to Chamonix and then into Italy to Milan. There was no real, oh, I can go halfway to Paris and stop somewhere and see what's, see what's around. It was very, yeah, place to place rather than experiencing off the grid and that is what I did to Asia. So it's a completely different experience in itself. 
but yeah, after after New Year's, made it into Eastern Europe, which was incredible. It was very, very cold. It was winter at that time. It was good to be in places slightly cheaper, but they felt less um, affected by, I guess, people. They felt you could find the cultural parts of cities a lot easier and they seemed more relevant. So we were going through Slovakia. No, Slovenia. I can't remember. It's one of the Eastern European countries and trying to find um, traditional foods and traditional restaurants. And they were so easy to come across. And I still speak to people from those countries from Hungary or Poland. And I say, oh, yeah, I've had your goulash or I can't remember the name for the Polish one, but there's like a dumpling. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's great food that we've had. And very traditional i had a lot of goulash this christmas when i went back to budapest (laughs) it's you feel like you're eating something local and cultural to these people but sometimes they have those dishes that only get eaten once a year for special occasions but then i think goulash especially is eaten a lot and all all the time by by the locals and that that is a yeah that's an awesome feeling in itself to sort of embrace embrace the culture that was a big that was a big thing for me traveling was trying trying not to be too much of a, a tourist as such and try and see what I could find out of the towns I actually in Hue where the old city of Vietnam is I stayed with a local family for two nights I met the at a hostel I was in one of the workers there was really friendly and on my way back down to Ho Chi Minh City on my flight out I was saying um I've been trying to find a homestay for somewhere I could stay which is you can stay with a local family and she was like oh no you can come back to mine come meet my family come see my village and that so I stayed at her family's house for two nights and it was amazing to see they had a little farm out the back. Uh, all the neighbors were really friendly, but didn't speak a word of English, which was <laughs> really, yeah, it was, it was really cool. And so I got to see her town. Her parents were lovely, cooked amazing, amazing food for me. And I can't, I can't thank her enough. That was an incredible experience and one, once in a lifetime, really, to, to be able to have that. At the end of your the Europe part and now into the job you're doing still now, how, how did you decide it was time to stop traveling and get a job? And then how did you get the job you're doing now? It wasn't so much my decision to stop traveling. It was my bank accounts. Forced <laughs> <laughs> my cards, unfortunately. I had just done Eastern Europe and I was freezing cold. It was minus nine or even maybe less in Poland. And I was messaging my sister and she was in Spain at the time, in southern Spain for that fact. And it was 23 degrees. And I thought, I've got to, I've got to go there. I'm struggling with this cold. She actually found this job off, uh, on Facebook for a, they call it a manny, like a man nanny for five boys of an English family living in Switzerland. And I thought nothing of it at the time because I was going to come to Alaska and work there for the summer. And then I got it recommended by my dad and then my mum. And I said, oh, you'll be perfect for this. This will be really good. 
And so I decided to contact the person on Facebook. And this was when I was still in Spain. So I'd pretty much exhausted all my funds by that point. And I contacted her and said, I'm still keen for this job. I've been, I haven't done much work with kids, but at school we have a students in the community thing where the older kids give back to the community, often by helping at old people's homes or what I did, which was um, drama teaching for young kids. So I'd had a bit of experience there and I taught kids um, football and tennis before. So though, and that was one of the criteria. Another one was to speak English, which was great. I had done that all my life. And then they said they really needed someone who was a great skier. And so I messaged saying I'd done some ski racing when I was younger, but now I snowboard. I've snowboarded for 10 years and now 11 years at the time. And I said, yeah, I've done it for a while. I've done ski racing before, so I know what's all needed for that, the preparations and everything. And so I heard back from her and it so happened that the previous nanny before me had also come from the same town as I had in New Zealand from Wanaka. So she said, oh, that's awesome. It sounds great. Do you happen to know this person? And he was my best friend at the time. And I said, yeah, I know him. I've been skiing with him heaps of times and everything. And so she um, went, oh, that's great. I was actually the nanny for him. And I had changed all his nappies and everything. So <laughs> I thought that was quite funny. And I, I told him about it. But she um, called up his parents and sort of said, this is Lewis, this is what he said. Would you think he is a good fit to look after kids? Can he actually snowboard? And they're like, yeah, he's great. He's a great guy. I'm like, oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, she got me then in contact with the mother of the family. And I didn't hear back for a while, for about two weeks. I was messaging a couple times, but then trying to get some something back of whether I've got this job or whether I should keep looking for something else. It was really spontaneous. I got a call midday. I was just sitting at my, I was at my grandma's at this time back in England, sitting on my computer, looking at different jobs because I thought I'd lost it. And I got a call and it was from the mother and she was saying, Oh, we've heard about all your application and we think you'd be great if you want to come over this weekend and it was Wednesday at that time so I had two days to get ready and get everything sorted and get over to Switzerland <laughs> so it was pretty once it had happened I was straight into it there was no preparations no seeing any family before I go just get straight into it and I came to see them in their town where I've lived for summer which is a small town well for me a large city but a small city for Switzerland called Sug. And I met them there and got along really well on the first day and said, um, yeah, this is my plan. I probably will go to Alaska unless plans change. And, and so we came up here, they saw me snowboarding and the, the mum said that day, oh, you're way better snowboarder than we thought and asked all the boys if they liked me. And they said, yes. So since then I've stayed with them and my plans have changed all the time originally it was till April and then it was going to be till the end of summer which would have been end of August or around then and then and now I'm going oh maybe I'll 
go through the winter and go to Alaska, but plans are always changing. The family's so lovely. It was, it's, they've been awesome to me, giving me a chance to live in Switzerland and teach, teach the boys snowboarding when they want to, giving me a chance to get back out there traveling. And it's been really, really awesome. What do you think you've learned or what's the biggest lesson you've taken away from all your travels and working overseas and all that? I think it's that if it seems, if people seem to try and talk you out of it, don't necessarily take their advice with a grain of salt. I think I've, I've had that, especially when I first left people saying, Oh no, you should probably look at studying. And, and it was a really good idea, but my parents were so supportive. They, my sister's older and she had gone through uni. So I think they'd had that side they wanted someone who was going to do something different. So that was quite nice. Yeah, to, to listen to people and to get what they're saying. But if, if your desire is strong enough to do something, you can make it happen. I was 18 years old traveling in Asia. I saw no one else that age. People thought I was crazy. But I wanted to do it. And, it was, and it's been done and it was incredible. And I wouldn't have changed it at all. That was probably from the start of my travels. During travel, I know people always say, oh, I try to find myself. I don't really understand that. I've found that I like different experiences to how I expected. I knew I was always a slightly rough traveler. I don't mind cheap hostels, staying in tents and that. But I think I've learned that I don't have to live by the system of working in a city and doing it. I guess like the first world country way, I think I want to go and experience it at a slightly, in a country that is different, very, very different. And I, that is something that really appeals to me. I want to go back to Asia. I want to experience those differences in people's lives. And hopefully I can go and volunteer over there and make, make a difference to people's lives with my time. I think that's, that's been a real yeah, a real cool thing to learn with this job. I've learned how much patience I have <laughs> with working with kids. You have to be very, very patient, very, very calm. You try and get them to do something, whether it's getting ready for school, for sports, for skiing or anything like that. They very rarely want to. Every now and then they're <laughs> very keen, but you have to have to get them to go and when they when they're there they love it and they thank you for getting them ready sometimes but it takes a lot of patience and to deal with the no I don't want to do it the sometimes the the fits the, they're not happy always you just got to be patient if you have to take a breath and then get them going and it, it works out in the end it really does and it's very re- rewarding to see how much the kids have grown just since I've been here the, whether it's sport educational or social they've grown so much and I like to think I've helped with that growth and hopefully in a couple years come back and see them or they'll come and see me and maybe yeah maybe they'll stay friends who knows I'd say they probably would I I know we've stayed friends for a couple years and I'm sure you saw me throw a few tantrums (laughs) (laughs) it's been a couple yeah (laughs) work was interesting. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) In your job now, tell me a little bit about the financial side of it, the pay and the the housing and all that side. Everything's slightly different depending on who you speak to. For mine, it was more of working as a nanny rather than as an au pair. 
So in Switzerland, there's no minimum wage. You just get paid whatever the company or employer wants to pay you. For me, as a nanny rather than as an au pair, I got paid more, but I also didn't live with the family. So some of my salary was having to pay for rent, which au pairs don't have. That was a new a new thing to learn. I'd never paid rent. I'd never done... It's compulsory to have health insurance here. I'd never sorted any of that out. Um, but the family's been, was really, really helpful with everything. Helped me with either the German, if I was having to do some contracts or anything through German, um, they would translate and, and that. But yeah, so the pay I'm getting here is higher, as I said, than most au pairs. So I've been able to save, even though Switzerland is incredibly expensive. You'll speak to anyone and, and they'll say that. But the salary works out to counter it and you can still save, which has been really nice. But other than rent, there haven't been too many other things for me to pay for. I have lunch and dinner on the days that I work with the family. So that's been really helpful. Then just health insurance and rent really come out of my salary and the rest is for saving. But yeah, everything's been easy to set up health insurance, the bank was really easy and then pay was sorted really quickly. Once you, yeah, once you've signed up for contract and you're legally working, it's yeah, running smooth. Do you mind giving me the, the exact numbers and stuff? Ah, okay. I can. Um, so I get 20 Swiss francs an hour for my job before taxes or anything like that and then if I stay with the family overnight I get a hundred francs net on that so my rent is cheap for where I'm living in Sug it's 790 francs a month so it's a lot of money when you look at it from outside of Switzerland but if you get in the habit of not converting to New Zealand dollars or American dollars it's not too bad um, and my health insurance, I have to pay 180 a month for that also. But they're my only really expenses. And then the rest of it goes to saving or, for my case, buying snowboard stuff so I can go out and enjoy the winter more. So the Swiss franc to the US dollar is pretty much the same. Is it? Okay. For me, it's earning a lot more money that I earn, than I earned in New Zealand. And that's always a big bonus even with the extra expenses on top compared to living with your parents yeah it's been it's been good i've been able to save and hopefully i can either travel or put that money to studying it's been well worth it if that's the case yeah and snowboarding and skiing and hanging out and playing sports and getting to know the family is all part of the job and you're still making great money yeah, exactly. Exactly. Get to do the thing I've I've loved doing all my life and in a snowboarding and in a country that's world renowned for being one of the best. It's it's been incredible. Really, really incredible. Yeah. And met met incredible, amazing people who I'm who I will hopefully stay in contact with. Some Swiss, some English, some Spanish. I've met some Hungarians. They're all from all over the place. And it's been yeah, really, really amazing to, yeah, to meet the people and, and it's between, I've been going between two places between Sugan where I am now and Flims and everyone up here is younger and want to go out snowboarding. So I meet a lot of people during the day and then go out 
partying in the night and then do it all over again. And then still gets slightly older, so just sitting at a bar, sometimes watching sports or playing poker. I did a game of ice hockey. I've never skated before in my life. And then the the young boys who I um, the younger boys who I look after, they all play ice hockey. So they taught me how to skate. And then a work colleague was like, "Oh, come and join this." And so I decided to play ice hockey for a for a game. And it was, I was terrible, but it was incredibly fun. And I want to do it again. That's <laughs> a, new, a new interest, really. If you had to guess, what's the next five years look like for you? Oh, um, I think it's going to be going to work in Alaska for this coming, for their summer, this coming summer. And then I will have a mate at that time from New Zealand who's going to live in Canada. So I might go and spend some of the winter with him in Canada. But my plans, as always, are very, very loose. There's not really any fixed fixed dates or fixed ideas. And as I said, studying starting to come into my mind, which would probably take up three years of that. Yeah, and I might, I don't know what I'm going to study. There's a few ideas. International relations, something to do with advertising and the economics or or even just learning languages. I've been able to learn some German while I've been here. And whether I'll stick with German, I'm not sure, but I would love to learn a language to a proficient level, which would be incredible. So I think for the next five years, I would see myself in America, Canada, New Zealand, and then maybe that leaves a year to spare. And I would go probably through Asia again if I got to travel. I've always loved to go to Japan, once again for snowboarding, but for the the culture that's behind it, the history that's there, I think it really appeals to me and I could see me going there, really. What do you think about maybe teaching English in Asia? Yeah, so it's it was on the card. Well, it wasn't really on the cards. I talked to people who were doing that, who had traveled through Asia and then found a place. They live in, a lot of them were living in hostels and teaching English as a, as a foreign language there. It's incredibly easy to get a job, really. As, as long as you speak English as your first language and have a passport from an English-speaking country, you can pretty much get a job. And then from there, if you're better qualified, whether you are an English teacher or have done further education than that, you'll get paid more. I don't think you would work in Asia or specifically as I'm, I'm more speaking about in Vietnam for the pay you would do it to be settled and to meet other people who are doing your job, but also try and meet locals who live there. So it's an idea. Um, I've been watching a few things of people who are being a teaching English as a foreign language um, teacher in Korea. He is more um, qualified than what you have to be for Vietnam, but then you get, a place paid for you, you get um, money, you get two days off a week, which is great for being a teacher. You get the holidays, so that's always appealing. So it's it's on the cards. It's it's in my idea pool as a sense, but probably not until after I've studied. I think I think I would like to study first and get something under my belt before I start looking at teaching. But it's. Yeah, you do it for the lifestyle, I think. You don't want to look at it for money. You 
do it for the holidays and for being in a wherever hopefully you can get a job in a good place where you can explore on your days off i think that's why you would do it rather than saving to go somewhere else yeah most of the places where i've talked to people that do that it's it's that i think it's just korea and then japan like once you get a degree and then you have some experience then you go to those places and they pay way more and they give you housing and it's then it becomes sort of more of a money thing as well as yeah. a traveling thing. Yeah, I agree. I, that's what I've heard too. But that would take a bit. Yeah. Yeah. You need the education to get there. So, yeah. Well, cool, man. I mean, that's all I've got for you. Thanks for coming on and talking to me and giving us all your wise wisdom. Yeah, my pleasure. Hope you all enjoy. Yeah. That's it. That's the episode. The seasonals are Kelly Mogg, Ryan Deininger, me, Joey Ravinsky. The theme song by Ryan Deininger, Joe Williams, Louis Leva, Chappie, Thomas Hamilton. Follow us on Instagram at the seasonals underscore. Like us on Facebook. Listen to our next episode. That's it. We're out. Yeah.